begin reading in verse 14 of Luke chapter 18. Hear now the word of the living God. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And they brought unto Jesus also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called unto them and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, shall in no wise enter therein. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, we do come before thee this morning and ask that you would give us ears that would hear your word. We ask that you would give us hearts that would understand it and minds and hearts that would receive it. Lord, I pray that as I preach the scriptures this morning that you would give me strength and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Not every society and culture has taken a very high view of children. We know that from the record of the Old Testament that the Canaanites would sacrifice their children to the god Moloch. Some families would burn their children alive to secure the favor and the prosperity of this false god. Ancient Roman society would leave or abandon their infants at birth because of economic hardship or the inability to care for the child. They would often be exposed and left to die. We see in the Victorian age, particularly among poor children, that there was no regard for their life. They went to the one extreme of the rights of children and regarded children as just a commodity for their own means. Children became slave labor and were treated harshly and cruelly. But we see within the early Jewish community and even in the Old Testament that they took a high and holy view of children as created in the image of God And as a blessing, the Old Testament is filled with examples of children viewed as a blessing from the Lord. And the scriptures remind us that children indeed are a blessing from the Lord. But how did Jesus regard children and their role in the kingdom of God? Even among Jewish culture, their view of children didn't even compare to what we see in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did not take many of the false views of the day 
But certainly he regarded children as a blessing, as a gift from the Lord. As we come to our passage this morning, we see here in Luke chapter 18, Jesus teaching his disciples about how they are to follow him. This is a long discourse and we're coming to the end of his journey to Jerusalem. But Luke includes in this account Jesus and the children in the context of the parable of the tax collector as those unlikely to receive favor from God. You see throughout Luke's gospel that Jesus emphasizes women. In that culture, women did not have favor from God. In fact, the prayer of the Jew was, I thank thee that I'm not a Gentile or a woman. That was the attitude. But some of that attitude was shown toward children. But here in this section, as we saw with the parable last time, that they are those whom would unlikely receive favor from the Lord. People often see children as innocent, trustworthy, and humble, as something good and and tenderness toward them as virtuous. The ancient world did not see it this way. But here we see something far different. We see Jesus receive children, children born in Adam, children dead in trespasses and sins as all children are. But here we see the tender heart of Jesus. Here we see the affection of Jesus toward children. He shows his tenderness in his perfect humanity. And he shows his tenderness in the place that he gives them within the kingdom of God. And so as we approach this passage, the first thing we want to consider is the approach of Jesus. Notice there in verse 15, And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. And Jesus called, verse 16, and said unto them, Suffer little children to what? Come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. And so we see the approach of Jesus. We've seen the approach of Jesus so many times throughout the Gospel of Luke. How he approaches those who are ceremonially unclean because of sickness or disease. We see how he approaches women, how he approaches those who are confused and those who are filled with demons. Jesus approaches each and every one of these encounters in the Gospel of Luke with tenderness, with compassion. I think there's a lesson here that we often miss. That when we read through the Gospels, we just see, oh, they're nice stories. Oh, isn't, children, isn't Jesus really nice? Doesn't Jesus really show compassion and love? But is this not an example that Christ in his full humanity calls us to have that same approach, that same compassion toward others? But here in our passage, the approach of Jesus to these children is so countercultural. They brought unto him also infants. In the previous parable, Jesus speaks about humility. 
And now he gives us an example of his delight in humility as he receives these infants. Jesus, in his act of humiliation, stoops down to those of low degree. He speaks to those who are the very dregs of society. He speaks to those who are not of any worth or value. And even in our own culture, there is no longer the worth and value of children. We no longer give our children to the god Moloch in human sacrifices. We give them to Planned Parenthood. We give them to abortion mills. And yet here Jesus puts a high value and view on life, particularly on children. And we see the humility of Jesus as he receives these infants. But there are two parallel accounts of this passage. The one in Matthew chapter 19 verses 13 through 15. And there in Mark chapter 10 verses 13 through 16. In all three accounts, it says the children are brought to Jesus. In the Matthew and Mark account, it says children are brought unto Jesus. The Greek word that is used both in Matthew and Mark is padia, word that is used oftentimes for children. The word that is used here in Luke 18 is the word brephe, meaning babes or infants. If you look in the birth narrative in Luke chapter 2, and verse 12, it says they laid the babe in a manger and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. The word there that refers to the Lord Jesus as a babe is the same word that is used here in verse 15 for these infants. Some would say, well, the modern translations are right when they say the children. So they must have been of age of accountability. They must have known something of what was going on. But the text doesn't show that. In fact, in Matthew and Mark, when Luke uses the word children, it's the same word that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn, what? Babes. Desire the sincere milk of the word. And so we don't want to take a view of this passage that distorts what Jesus actually is saying. They brought unto him also infants. I think Luke's account brings this out more clearly than Matthew and Mark. But here in Luke's account, notice what the text says. And they... They most likely were parents, brought unto him also infants. How else would they have come? Oh yeah, the babes want to want to want to uh, crawl to Jesus because they know it's Jesus. No, they they were helpless. They were babies. They were dependent upon their parents particularly their mother, in nursing them and caring for them, and so they brought unto him also infants. Interesting here that Jesus receives them and they were brought to him because they could not come alone. J.C. Ryle in his commentary gives some 
wonderful lessons on this of how we oftentimes read into accounts those things that we think are true. He says that the souls of children are evidently precious in the sight of God. And we see no plainer proof in Scripture that Christ cares for them no less than he cares for adults. The souls of young children, he says, are capable of receiving grace. They are born in sin and without grace cannot be saved. There is nothing either in the Bible or experience to make us think that they cannot receive the Holy Spirit and be justified even from earliest infancy. And so here the passage clearly shows that they brought unto him infants. What was the purpose of bringing these infants unto him? That he might bless them. That he might touch them. Now this is interesting to note because in Judaism, particularly at the high feast of the holy high feast days, particularly as they're getting ready to celebrate Passover, it was very common for the parents to bring their children to the rabbis. And what would the rabbis do? The rabbis would bless the children. It's interesting. I'm not sure this is a particularly doctrine to, to practice, but I think it's curious that sometimes even in Anglican churches, when people are invited to the table, children cannot come to the table. So the children are brought to the table and the minister will lay hands upon them and bless them. That's what the rabbis did in, Ju- in Judaism. They would come and bless the children. And so this idea of extending blessing or imparting blessing was something that is seen throughout all the Old Testament. The laying on of hands is seen there in Genesis chapter 48, verse 13. We see the, the blessing of children, blessing of the father to their children throughout the Old Testament. We see that the priests were blessed with the imparting of the laying on of hands. We see that particularly on those who are set apart for the ministry, that there's always the laying on of hands. And so we see here something significant that we often miss. Why did Jesus touch them? Why did Jesus place his hands upon them and bless them? Well, there's a couple of reasons he did that. He's following in the tradition of the fathers and the elders. But more importantly, he shows that they are included within the community faith, that they are included as children in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Now we look at that verse and we say, yes, we need to be like little children. That's not what the verse is saying. We read that through uh, whatever lens we have 
And if that's the case, then we deny the doctrine of salvation because our salvation rests in our being humble. Our salvation rests in being innocent. Our salvation rests in those things that we see as virtuous within children. Jesus is not emphasizing the virtue found in the children. Jesus is emphasizing that because they're created in the image of God, because they belong to him, that the kingdom of God belongs to children just as it does to adults. And I think that clearly comes out in verse 16. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. He shows us here the importance of setting those children apart. The passage before us is one that often causes much controversy much difficulty for some. I think we don't want to overlook this, even though it is a very small section of the Scripture. But we see here that the children were brought to Jesus not to be instructed. They're infants. You don't give much instruction to an infant. They brought the children to Him not to be cured but to be blessed. And so that blessing or that laying on of hands is seen in the Old Testament. Christ extended the same covenant right to children and believers under the New Testament as He did under the Old Testament by virtue of God's promises to Abraham and to his seed. There are those who teach that the Abrahamic covenant was for the Jews and still remains for the Jews, particularly when they see the coming of the so-called millennial age where they will rebuild the old ruined temple. That Abrahamic covenant clearly states, for the promise is to whom? you and to your children. The, the promise of the Abrahamic covenant is that I will be your God and your children's God. We see in there that God promises to raise up one seed, not seeds, but one seed that runs throughout the old covenant. And we see there in seed form that the promises and the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant are to the children. We certainly and clearly see in the Old Testament that Israel was a visible church. It was a visible community. And so we see that even here in the New Testament, that the Lord promises to bring the blessing of the children, that He shows that they hold a tremendous place within the covenant of grace. He blessed them and named them so that they might be included with the people of God planted in His vineyard and sown in His field to be a holy seed. These children are visibly set apart from the world 
to have the knowledge of Christ. And I think J.C. Ryle is, is right on. Even though he was an Anglican bishop fighting against the increx of Romanism in the 18th century and the Church of England, which has now just embellished the entirety of the Church of England. But as he fought against that, he was emphatic that we bring our children to Christ, but we plead for Christ to convert their souls. We do not hold to a presumptive regeneration. We do not believe that because children have received the blessing of the covenant through the sign of baptism, that somehow they are magically changed by the water. That's the error of Rome. We believe that they are set apart outwardly and visibly to testify to the world that they belong to Christ, that they have the knowledge of Christ. And so we see the solidarity of the covenant. We see that God saves through community. He doesn't save through those avenues that are often utilized, like child evangelism fellowship was many years ago. We just focus on getting those children saved whether they ever become a part of a church or not, that's not our job. And yet we see that oftentimes modern evangelicalism is an individual salvation. It's an individual relationship to Jesus. And yet here we see that even in the Old Testament, the children were included within the community faith. As we finish, Luke will go to his sequel in Acts of the Apostles. But there in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, as Peter preaches his sermon, he says, Therefore, let the house of Israel, chapter 2, verse 36, know assuredly that God that made the same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, of them, said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and unto your children and to all that are afar off, even as many, many, as the Lord your God shall call. So here the promise of the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 17, 7 is fulfilled. Peter first told his hearers that this promise comes unto all who repent and receive the forgiveness of sins. So obviously in the book of Acts, this is a missionary enterprise going on. There are adults coming to faith. And so when adults come to faith, we baptize them upon the profession of the faith. That is what was done in the early centuries of the church. But for those who are in the faith, what do you do with their children? Oh, well, they're just little heathens. And so we treat them like heathens. That is the most erroneous doctrine we as Presbyterians could ever hold. That our children are little heathens, so let's treat them like heathens. Let's not discipline them. Let's coddle them. 
and let's just let them express themselves as children. But because we are all born in sin, we are all called to be discipled. We're all called to a life of obedience. And so our children, even though they're born in sin, even though they have not been converted by the grace of God, we are teaching them and training them and bringing them to the place where they may embrace the promises of Christ, that they might embrace those promises that are signed and sealed to them in baptism. Baptism for children is only a sign and a seal of what Christ will do, that they belong to Christ visibly, and yet we are called to lead them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I draw your attention to the second point in the outline there. Not only do we see Jesus' approach to these children, that he receives them and blesses them, but we see also in the second point, the attitude of the disciples. Now this is remarkable because they're Jews. They would have known the, the Old Testament. And yet, notice the passage. It says that when they brought him also infants, that he would touch them, the disciples saw it, and they rebuked them. They rebuked them. The text doesn't tell us why. Don't think we can assume some false motive here that they just didn't have any regard for children. Perhaps the reason they rebuked them for sending them to Jesus is because he has had this long journey to Jerusalem. They did not want to bother him. They thought, why bother the master with some little insignificant thing? The text doesn't really tell us why, but we see the attitude of those disciples in rebuking those who brought these children unto Jesus. Oftentimes, people are ignorant of the matter of children's souls. We've seen this throughout history. Perhaps even in the Victorian age, children did not, were not regarded as having souls. Children were regarded in, in some segments as, as just being beyond hope or little, little uh, infidels. Perhaps there were those who went to the other extreme when the rights of children finally became realized and later taken to its extreme that children do not possess souls. And yet people are often ignorant when it comes to the matter of children. And yet we see in the disciples the attitude of rebuke that they did not want them to come to Jesus. They saw it as an intrusion. They saw it as a, as a time waster. Perhaps they thought Jesus was people fatigued, that he needed rest. 
Or perhaps they were a bit irritated at the way he kept imposing themselves on Jesus. But the text doesn't indicate that. Jesus simply receives them and welcomes them. And so here we see the temptation and the ignorance of some toward children. And even in some segments of evangelicalism, children are just not regarded at all. They're just children of church members, no different than the world. But if we set them apart from the world outwardly, we're testifying to the world that we belong to a different community, that we belong to a different master. And so in the failure of these disciples, they do not regard the importance of these children. Perhaps like some of us, they see them as an intrusion. It's like the old W.C. Fields line, Go away, children, you bother me. And that's the attitude of many toward children. And that was the attitude, perhaps, not on the surface, but underneath the surface, the attitude of the disciples toward them. But how does Jesus respond to this attitude of the disciples? Well, in verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. In Mark's account of the gospel, it says that Jesus was displeased with the attitude of the disciples. Here it doesn't bear it out in the text, but Jesus is probably perplexed, and Jesus is most likely indignant at the response of the disciples. There is a rebuke in his response, but Jesus in his rebuke makes a strong declaration that the kingdom of God belongs to little children. We oftentimes like to explain that away and say, well, how can they belong to the kingdom of God? They cannot even talk. They cannot even reason. But I've often said, particularly in a baptismal service of an infant, that there's no greater picture or illustration of the doctrine of election than the sleeping child that is not even aware of the water that's being poured on his head or her head. They're totally unaware. Just like us, we are not even aware as Nicodemus was not aware of the work of God's Spirit in the heart and the life of a child. And so we don't want to discredit any thought or notion that, well, that child? Can you see him as a preacher? I don't think so. Can you see that child as as a missionary? Can you see that that, uh, child as as a mother rearing children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? I don't think so. And so we oftentimes approach this from a pragmatic standpoint, just like the disciples. But we are often ignorant of the attitude of 
the Lord toward children. J.C. Ryle says it shows the ignorance of people and how they treat children and how they regard their souls. He says the ignorance of the disciples does not stand alone. He says there is many strange opinions within the church on the subject of the souls of children. He says some think that children ought to be baptized so that when they die that they can go to heaven. Because if a child remains unbaptized, he cannot be saved. Well, that is the error of Rome. Others think that children ought not to be baptized because they can give no satisfactory reason why they should be. Some think that children are already regenerate by virtue of their baptism. This was the error that crept into the Dutch Reformed churches. Others seem to think that children are incapable of receiving any grace that they ought not to be enrolled in the church until they are grown up. Some think that children are naturally innocent and would do no, un, do no wickedness unless they had learned it from others. Others think that it is of no use to expect them to be converted when they're young. But we have the examples, and sometimes we see these as, as um, very... Um, very special cases, but we do see the example of children who are set apart in the womb. Even John the Baptist, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, we don't want to despise the fact, as the disciples did, that God may be working grace in the heart of your child even now. That God may take years to respond to that child. I heard the testimony of a friend of mine who's a pastor who tells a story of his younger brother dying at 33 years of age, raised in a covenant home, raised in a believing home, and his brother died at 33 years of age from a life of addiction, starting out with marijuana, which is really where they start, and then escalating into harder drugs and alcohol, and ended up destroying his life. It was a grief to his parents never came to faith in Christ. But he said, the Lord worked grace in me through my brother. Because I saw through his life the tragedy of, of a life without Christ. And he said, at some point in my life, the Lord came and, and uh, spoke tenderly to me. And he said, I was... I was converted to Christ through the life of my brother. Scripture tells us not to despise the day of small beginnings. We are not to despise what the Lord may do in the life of a child. A child can certainly profess faith at a young age. I don't know what the age of accountability is. Some children can profess their faith younger than, than 12 or even 10. But we see the Lord working in the life of his people. And so the response of Jesus is one that is a right response. That they must not despise 
what the Lord is doing in our children. Fourthly, by way of application, there is a call to us who are believers to bring our children to Christ. Yes, contrary to what Mr. Spurgeon says, we do not bring our children to the baptismal fount. We do bring our children to the baptismal fount, but we don't leave them there. Oftentimes, parents think their duty is over. Okay, now our child's baptized. Everything's okay. And that's the attitude of many in Presbyterian and Reformed circles. But bringing your child to Christ means, first of all, that you bring him to receive the waters of baptism. And that it begins there and that you teach and train that child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Many parents have fallen away from the faith who had their children baptized. And yet the Lord will hold them accountable. He will judge them. But we are to surrender our children unto Christ. When we bring them there, we are in essence saying they belong to Christ. They do not belong to me. Now this is difficult coming from a man who was not able to have children to people who have children. But we see this clearly in Scripture. Children are not your possession. They are God's possession. You are stewards of your children just as you are stewards of everything else. Now your children are not property and possessions in the sense of business and and farm equipment, and all of those sorts of things. But they are the possession of God. They belong to Him. And because they belong to Him and are precious in His sight, we have to be very careful that we train them rightly, that we don't hold them tightly. In bringing them to Christ and surrendering them to Him, we are to pray for them. We are to pray daily for them. We pray for the salvation of our children. But you know what? We leave them to the providence of the Lord. Children that are wayward. Children that have been raised in the church. Children who have been raised in godly families oftentimes walk away. We see it all the time. But the difficult thing is leaving them to the providence of the Lord. Some of you are at a place in your life as your children are getting older. Some have gone off to college. Some are making the decision to go to college. Some will be thinking about going to college in a few years. (gasps) My child is leaving home. What about college? What about about this and this and this and this? What about the... the, um, the things that they deal with, in our, with within our age. Leave them to the providence of the Lord and pray for them. Because under the Lord's providence and protection, He can care for them far better than you can. We are to commend our children to His grace, trusting that the Lord would indeed bring them to saving faith. Question this morning is, has Christ shown favor to your children? 
has Christ shown favor to them. Do not be hardened against them. Do not rule them like a tyrant. Do not put demands upon them other than lawful demands of Scripture. Do not provoke them to wrath lest they become discouraged. But be gentle and patient. Nurse them and train them to be godly. We have such wonderful encouragement from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what about all of these children that have been baptized and they suddenly fall away? My response to that is always, well, what about the number of adults that professed faith later age and were baptized upon their profession of faith and they fall away? What about them? The thing is, when you look at the Old Testament, most of Israel died in the wilderness. Most of Israel, the people under the Old Testament, were not faithful to the Lord. But faithfulness to the Lord does not guarantee the blessing of his covenant. It is not dependent upon God to, it, God does keep his elect. But we must be certain that we do not take the notion that because they fall away, therefore baptism is null and void. That is not the case. We are called because we are commanded to do it, and we must do it whatever consequences may come. We pray for the life of our children, and sadly, in some cases, those children who fall away at an early age, and I've seen this too often times in my own ministry, the parents haven't been diligent. The parents just saw, okay, you know what, I'm done raising these kids. Let them go on their own and let them do what they're going to do. But if you're teaching them, if you're training them, if you're nurturing them, if you're giving them instruction from the Word of God, then you have the promise of God that He will bless your children. In the, the, the final verse there, in verse 17... Jesus says, what is your response? What about yourselves? I say unto you, now he's speaking directly to the disciples, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Verse 16, he says, The kingdom of God is for little children, that salvation belongs to them. But here in verse 17, he says that whosoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall know in no wise enter therein. In other words, if they don't receive the kingdom as those who are helpless like a babe, if they don't receive the kingdom like the publican who cried, Lord, have mercy upon me, for I am an unworthy man. If they don't come with weakness, if they don't come with, if they come with that 
that self-righteous attitude, then they cannot enter the kingdom of God. But they must come as helpless babes. They must come as those who are in need of all that Christ gives. Here Jesus is illustrating to the disciples that if you do not receive the kingdom of God in a humble way, casting yourself upon the mercy of Christ, coming before him as a beggar, then you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Oh, friends, there's great encouragement for parents in the raising of their children. There's great encouragement to parents when their children are wayward. should always pray, even when they're not walking with Christ, that the Lord would have mercy upon them, that he would draw them unto himself. But also remember that even in times of great trial and and tragedy, even in the loss of a child, the Lord has promised to his elect that he will bring even their children into his kingdom. And so we have the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are not to reject them, but that we are to receive them. But in surrendering them to Christ, we must, we must train them and teach them because they will not go the way you want them to by osmosis. They will go the way that they naturally will go. So that's why you train them and teach them. And so we have a duty here as a church, we have duties as parents to surrender our children to Christ to see that they are included in the blessings of Christ, that they too are part of the visible church who are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we give thee thanks for the wonderful way in which you have shown your tenderness and mercy to so many different people. We've seen this in receiving the children. And Lord, we would ask your forgiveness for those times when we have not treated our children with dignity and honor, when we have not regarded our children as your possession, when we have not seen necessary to teach and train them the fear of the Lord. And I pray that you would impart a special blessing unto those members of our congregation in the rearing and the raising of their children, that they might bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, that they would be careful in training them, but to pray for them and to nurture them as you nurture us. We thank you that you are a kind and gentle shepherd that nurtures us. And so we pray that you would apply this word to our hearts and that you would encourage us in our desire to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.